Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Hey, welcome to the studio today, and I am joined with my co-host, Mr. Stephen Vaughn. Hello. And Morgan McClure. What's up, guys? And my name is Aaron Mansfield, and you are joining us for Where We Land. And man, guys, third season, we're working our way uh, to an, another season here. And uh, can you believe crazy that? Crazy times. Nah, it, it goes by so quick, honestly. They do. I think they it's because we've rolled them out so slow that I'm like, oh, I'm just like amped to get it all released all at once. But yeah, it's, it's great. It's crazy. In, in fact, we were so excited that we brought the cameras uh, to the studio uh, for our third season. Um, Mr. Enoch Rasmussen from VCY TV in Milwaukee, um, Wisconsin is down here videoing some of our content for their TV station. And so mm-hmm. we are talking to our podcast audience today. We're With talking to our camera audience today. <laughs> and like, yeah, and Enoch exactly. is the media wizard. He is. He literally this can guy, do anything. Well, he touches it. I think it's so it funny. Like Stephen was amazing. trying to come up with that guy from Lord of the Rings, and <laughs> yeah. it actually is pretty close. We were, we decided on Radagast, the the brown wizard. Yeah, so, so yeah. He, before the show, before the show, I was kind of picking on Enoch and calling him Rasmussen, and then we got onto Lord of the Rings. And if any of you have ever watched Lord of the I'm Rings, a huge Lord of the Rings oh, fan. Yeah. Radagast, the animal yeah. wizard, and so now Enoch He's is like the, media He's yeah. the media wizard. He's the media wizard. He is, and we're having a great time. It has been fun having him down. He's been with us a few days he's actually gonna be with us uh, this whole week we we last night got together for a little monopoly action an epic game uh, of all monopoly. of the where we land team was, it was there wild. and then uh aaron lost uh, aaron lost guys, for the first time it, ever it was oh my goodness i don't even know if i can talk about he this lost right quickly now too. And i actually i've never I been that bad in, at monopoly ever in my life like, like i, I think it was within like the sixth round i was gone were you top two or top three i was second place which is the first to lose but with it doesn't four matter. railroads I, I, but, wow. i need to understand this morgan made it all the way to second place with hardly any properties just but just railroads. four railroads like she's literally jumped from railroad to railroad you all game you don't understand the impressive. safety net of the railroad because you're on all four <sighs> sides of the board you know people pass you all the time and once you have all four that's like a 200 dollar. she was just raking in the dough you, you know, I mean, it was i <laughs> wonder if that's a new strategy like get the railroads and then get like maybe one sub like little small community mm-hmm. that you can build some houses on but and then you, you win you rack up. i just I couldn't believe it. i'm still why because i have a sad the last time i played Monopoly was when I sold my brother the last piece of the railroad. He put me in debt so deep I could not see the light of day. So I was like, never happening to me again. I'm yeah. buying all of them. You were pretty, uh, right out of the gate, you were like, if there's a railroad, I want it. I want it. And, I offered uh, like $800 yeah, to buy ridiculous. from Steven. And I said no. And I got it. But did, this, did you get it? Or did I, say no? I thought did I said it, no. Did I buy it from him then? I don't remember. I can't remember. I don't know. But she so, had them all. That was really such a wild night. He's still having some <laughs> trauma from the loss. I, I, He's yeah. like still in shock. Yeah, yeah that's a sore topic today, really. <laughs> yeah, Aaron was praying to win, and God said no, and Aaron lost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, I don't think I did pray about it, but I did. <laughs> he wanted I, to. I, I was hopeful. Maybe you I, should I, have. I was trying to. Maybe you should have. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was bad, but all that to say, uh, we're going to talk about prayer today uh, on the podcast. You know, we're talking about kind of this mini series that we're doing on season three, and that is talking about prayer in the early church. So mm-hmm. what we're going to do is we're going to go to the book of Acts and look at Acts as kind of an example of, of the early church, how the early church prayed and and what they understood prayer to be and 
You know, as I think about the day that we are living in today, it seems as if the constant really battle and the struggle that the church is in today is this temptation to always add something to Christianity. I, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, C.S. Lewis yeah. uh, and mere Christianity, you know, and he, and he oh, not mere Christianity, but the screw tape letters. Mm-hmm. I just read that. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. You were telling me about that. But there's that part in the book, you mm-hmm. know, where where um, I think it, the demon's talking to worm. And he's talking about uh, Christianity and Mm -hmm. Christianity plus something. I think that is truly uh, just a problem in the church today that Mm -hmm. we are looking always for the next greatest thing that's somehow going to resolve uh, need and tension and, and, and what's needed. And I think that is just really a lie from the evil one making mm-hmm. us think that the resources that are already ours in Christ are somehow not effective and so we mm-hmm. think about you know the power of the word of god and a dynamic prayer life and the indwelling of the holy spirit i mean those things are critical in the life of a believer and so what we're actually going to do is kind of take this mini series to walk through how we see those things actually playing out in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think you see that right there in the book of Acts, our kind of verse that's going to keep coming up throughout this series, by the way, if you stick with us and I hope you do stick with us, the main verse that we're going to kind of keep coming back to is Acts two forty two, where it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, which that's scripture. The apostles taught from scripture and much of what they wrote was scripture and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Hmm. Prayer is right there in the things that they devoted themselves to. And look no further in the early church to see success after success, miracle after miracle, work of God after work of God. And why is it? Well, it goes back to what you were saying. They did not go after Christianity and something. It was Christ and that's it. We (laughs) want Christ and we want what he has told us to do. And even that key passage is set within the context of the, really the church beginning on the day of Pentecost Mm -hmm. with the indwelling spirit of God. And so what we want to do actually is kind of walk through the book of Acts, not in full picture, but by looking at how prayer was such a, a vital part of the early church. And I think in order to do that today, what we're going to talk about is specifically the people of prayer. Mm-hmm. And and as we think about the people of prayer, I think what we want to begin with is kind of this question of what is prayer? Because prayer is one of those things that it seems to be a concept in every religion. I mean, even people yeah. who are not religious some tend to have some aspect of prayer. So what is prayer? Yeah, I think I think that's uh, it, it, people can sometimes forget, especially if you've grown up in the church. Christianity is not the only religion that prays. In fact, if you look across the broad spectrum of mainstream religions and even to very small sects of religions, then you see prayer everywhere. If you're in an animistic culture, you're praying to spirits, you know, praying to the good ones to keep away the bad ones. Um, some people pray to ancestors to guide their family and look on them with favor. Um, others like Hinduism, Islam. I mean, everybody has a discipline of prayer in their religious practice. Right. And I think about Stephen, when you were sharing with us uh earlier as we were kind of getting ready for this today about your experiences in India yeah, yeah, yeah. and having been experienced to a lot of different aspects of yeah. different religions and prayer. Yeah. So one summer I ended up doing a missions internship in India and we spent the entire summer there. I did and a friend of mine 
And um, we would go to different temples um, around the city of Delhi where we were based. That was our kind of home base. We went to a couple other places while we were in India, but that was our main base. And we would travel around Delhi some to go to these different temples, not to partake in worship, but to observe. Sure. And to observe some of the ways that the people that we were trying to reach were worshiping. And I remember we would go to like a Sikh temple or a Buddhist temple, a Hindu temple, a a mosque. And there was even other subsets of religions Mm -hmm. that we would go to their temples. And the one common thing that kept popping up across the board was prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, Each religion was either praying when we were in the temple or it was talked about while we were in the temple. And it was a really common thread through all the religions. And I, I think when you see that, a question that immediately pops up is, so if prayer is such a big deal to all these religions, then what's the big deal about prayer in Christianity then? Sure. Or is there sure. a big deal? Right. I think yeah. that's a question you could ask too. Why is prayer not more prominent in Christianity if it is so prominent in other religions? Yeah. And I think that, no, that's terrific. And it is a good question yeah. that we need to consider. And I think as we kind of begin to think about that, I think even a a question before that question is what is trying to be achieved in prayer? I mean, Mm -hmm. because, you know, once again, we've all seen different types of praying. Uh, When I was overseas in Africa, being a part of some church prayer meetings there, and I mean, that is very different, uh, more lively (laughs) for sure uh, than in many churches that I've been a part of here in the States. And then yet I've had opportunity to go to different Catholic churches and, Mm -hmm. you know, where people are are lighting candles and entering into a time of prayer. So even the, the, the approach Mm-hmm. often seems so different. But I think what is kind of the common thread that regardless of their theological tradition or their their base, what what is it about prayer first that I think uni- not unifies, but, but it is it's the, represented the, yeah. across such a large uh, spectrum? Well, I think, you know, it's pretty obvious that if you're praying to something or someone, you're recognizing that there is power greater than yourself. Mm. Um, Lots of these new introspective religions like new age or mindfulness, you know, you're not praying outside because all the power is found within you. But with all these other religions, prayer is recognizing, okay, there's somebody bigger and above and more powerful than me that I need to get in touch with somehow. Sure. Sure. So, yeah, I think that that's, that's really good, Morgan. It's, it's been a, a fact for centuries <laughs> that people have recognized that there is an authority source above yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, whether that is ancestor worship, worship of multiple gods, worship of one God, however they sliced it and diced it, it was the fact that they believed in a power above themselves. And prayer was the specific way of communicating with that authority. Mm-hmm. Now, some of their prayers were empty, but they still right. believed that it was some way to, whether it was making themselves better in that person's eyes or whether it was them truly asking for something that they wanted or needed, that's what it was. Yeah. And it was coming across the there's board. There's often an aspect yeah. of, of achieving something mm-hmm. or needing something, you know, even yeah. with uh, cultures uh, or, or religions that kind of have multiple or pluralistic uh, gods. Each one of those gods are representative yep. of something that is needful. Mm-hmm. Hindus are and, notorious uh, for that. Hindu, okay. The Hindu yeah. religion is notorious. And if you go, if you ever go to India and you're riding in a taxi 
and you're riding in a Hindu taxi, and the way you know that is if the driver is Hindu, you look up on the dash and you'll see they'll normally have multiple gods there. And what that is, is there's gods for different things or different types of gods that do different things. Mm. And so if it's the God of protection or the God of this or the God of that, they might have it right there on their dash to pray for it. I've heard that they have like millions of gods. Oh, it's crazy. Like the numbers are insane. Um, I believe millions is like a, a relatively like <laughs> safe number. <laughs> like well, it's a yeah. crazy, insane amount of gods. Yeah. And even, even like my personal experience, my, my stepdad uh, came from a Chinese background and his family uh, were Chinese. And I can remember going for like family get togethers and mm-hmm. even have an extended family. And you know, that, that wasn't a conversation we talked about frequently, but when that whole idol and God uh, discussion did come up, I, I can remember even their perception of it was that like, m- there's more of these than what we even understand there are, oh, man. you know, and it's like, oh, we have a few of them in our house and yes, they mean different things, but the reality is, uh, you know, there's quite, quite more than, than what we understand. And so uh, the, the thing I think going back now to your question is, I think what we want to do is think about prayer in the book of Acts was, uh, was a important part of the early church. It was dynamic in the sense that we see a lot of powerful things happening in the early mm-hmm. church through prayer. And so I think you're right. What we want to talk about today on the podcast is what makes Christianity so different uh, from these other religions and specifically, what is it about the person of Christ yeah. and how Jesus prayed uh, that that stands apart from so many of these things? I think you have to start there. Okay, uh, I think we want to get to the book of Acts. Right. And I think that that's where our series is headed. But I think this is one of those situations where if we don't do our intro work well and our homework, our, our well, kind of prequel yeah. to get yeah, to the, if we don't yeah. do that, we're not going to get there. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, uh, what is it? Lord of the Rings and the <laughs> Hobbit series. You got to have a good prequel to get to, to the series. And it's true because in prayer, if we don't work through the prayer life of Christ, I think we do ourselves a great injustice to understanding prayer in the New Testament. Mm. And um, I think it, first of all, just starts in the life of Christ with how do we see how Jesus placed importance on prayer in his life? Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think we I think we should look at that question because yeah, if do we that. don't, if we don't, I think we do it injustice. So how would you say is a way that we see importance being placed on prayer in the prayer life of Christ? I mean, two two ways in particular I, that come to my mind. One is in Jesus's message and what he says about prayer. And then the second would be what you see in his life mm-hmm. a, as an example. You know, I think a lot of times when we talk about prayer, people kind of talk about it in this aspect that, you know, Jesus was only praying as an example, mm-hmm. but that really brings in even a more fundamental question, asking the question, okay, if Jesus is the sinless son of God, uh, God, uh, the divine, uh, the divine being and, mm-hmm. and this human uh, form uh, coming, coming together, the God man in the person of Jesus Christ, then why in the world is Jesus praying? You know, and I think it, it is more than simply an example. There was something in that moment for him in communing with his father and the way that uh, the disciples, man, they picked up on this because mm-hmm. there's a place in the Bible in Luke 11 where the disciples had seen Jesus a prey before them, uh, around them, or going off into these moments, quiet moments to pray. And it was something that was so profound for them 
that they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Mm-hmm. And so we get to that passage there in Luke 11, where, you know, oftentimes people talk about it as the Lord's Prayer, uh, but it's actually not the Lord's Prayer. It's a terrible why, name. why can it not be the Lord's <laughs> Prayer, Stephen? Well, because he talks about how to forgive us from our trespasses. And it literally says in God's word that while Jesus was tempted, he was yet without, without sin. sin. Right. And so mm-hmm. that's impossible. I, I love my dad. My dad um, teaches out of this passage quite frequently, and he calls it not the master's prayer, but the model prayer. Sure. Oh, and cool. he says that it's the prayer that Jesus modeled and taught to them. And um, I love that you brought up Luke 11, because I think you're exactly right. I think too often we say, you know, we're just going to look at like the example that Jesus lived. Well, yes, Jesus did live an example, but he also had a message and his message was clear. Mm -hmm. And in this passage, he specifically not only gives them a model prayer and teaches them in that aspect, but he even goes on in the latter end of Luke 11, one through 13, he goes in the last part of that little passage there and he starts teaching them through a parable about how prayer is persistent. And he uses this word importunity. That's like this, this crazy word. And different people <laughs> always want to talk yeah, about it. D-Y-T, of course. But it comes, a, I've this, never heard that yeah, word. Yeah, importunity that. comes down to this persistent, faith-filled, active prayer life. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to define with one word because it's a word we don't use, but yeah. it has an idea of this persistent and not giving up. The parable. I mean, it's, exactly. it's, it's the guy who was in need of bread because he had mm-hmm. visitors coming in and mm-hmm. he had nothing for which to serve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he goes to his neighbor's house and he keeps pounding on the door uh, for what he needs, you know. And, and why did he the, do that? Because he knew that the he knew that he would come, and it was an right. active, and he kept going and going it's and going. That shameless boldness. That's a good way that to say says it. In a, my, I'm I'm reading out of reading the there? Christian Standard Bible. Okay. Shameless mm-hmm. plug for the CSB. I love it, but it it says because of his shameless boldness, mm-hmm. um, his friend would give him yeah, what persistency. So let's yeah. take a moment here while we're in Luke 11 and think about the shameless boldness that Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. What is it in Luke 11 that really seems so different uh, in the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray than what was experienced in that day? Yeah, this is so crazy because it's total. I'm sure this is like 100% flipped from what the disciples were expecting of him because everything that you would have seen in this day and time um, – the examples for prayer and for religious like cleanliness and purity were the Pharisees and they were the ones who would pray these really ornate prayers out in public on street corners uh, in the temple um, addressing, you know, God as, you know, the one who is holy and magnificent and Mm. above all things, which of course he is, but very distant and ritualistic. And yet Jesus, the very first line in his prayer is, our father who art in heaven, like our father, suddenly now we can relate to God. Which was not a phrase that Jews used for God Never. was no. our father. I mean, because uh, I mean, there were some understandings in the Old Testament in the sense of the fatherhood of God over the nation of Israel. But it was never a term that was used to approach God. Uh, to call him our father. So when mm-hmm. Jesus says that, what is, I mean, even that saying our father is, is, is significant in saying something. What is it saying about Jesus? Well, it says that Jesus is the son, but it right? also is taking it a step further. Jesus is giving a new way of praying 
relational mm-hmm. praying. And it's not a repetitive, empty prayer. It's this new way of relational praying. No, God is still the Yahweh of the Old Testament, the one whose name can not be uttered, you know, like, but there is a new way. And God's an unapproachable Exactly. But there's a new way because if you listen to our episode on our podcast, so a plug right now for season three, episode one, (laughs) uh, which was Jesus, prophet, priest, and king, we talked about how Jesus gives access for us to the Father. Mm. So now, yes, we do have access to the Father. It's a new way. It's a new day. We have a new way to pray. And Jesus gives an example of this, of how it's a relational prayer. He also kind of does this uh, another difference and kind of another revolutionary way of praying here. He prays in a certain place. Now, if you look, if you look at the way that this term is used, it's not a specific place. We think when we hear a certain place, it's like, oh, it's this one place that you can only get. No, it just means a place. Mm -hmm. It's a generic place. And if you look in that day, scribes, Pharisees, priests, they would go to very specifically uh, public places, whether it was a street corner, whether it was in the temple, it was a place that they could be seen. And, and heard. <laughs> and heard. And they would start praying there. And so Jesus kind of starts twisting this thing up a little bit and saying, you know what? It's not necessarily the place that I'm praying at. And he teaches his disciples that in the model prayer. Right. And I think that that's just incredible. Exactly. So unlike the understanding of many in that day that praying was this public thing before men, it was seen before others, praying in the temple. Uh, you know, Jesus gives the parable there of the tax collector in the temple and mm-hmm. and seeing the dynamic there but the the whole the whole point that i think jesus is showing his disciples is that prayer is relational yeah because now they're talking to the god of the universe but the way they're approaching him is their father who art in heaven and it's mm-hmm. not just for the spiritually elite it is right. for everyone the common people right. you yeah know? so i have a question here we've kind of have mentioned how jesus was revolutionary right mm-hmm. but i kind of want to clear something up just for our listeners and just kind of so we're all on the same page obviously prayer was important to jesus he made a big difference about it and how he prayed. And it was important because he, it was clear in his message and his example. We've talked about that, but why specifically is Jesus praying so much if he's the son of God? Mm. So if, if in the Christian faith, we would argue Jesus is the son of God, literally meaning he is 100% God. Mm. So why is he praying to God? That's a good Ooh, question. You want to take a stab at that first? Okay, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, wait, wait a minute. Wait, throw me, it on him, Morgan. Wait, well, wait, wait, I'm wait the kind of person that, that like needs to think about something for a minute. You're that. a quicker processor than I am. So, okay, let me. I'll just say the first thing that comes to my mind is the understanding that Jesus had both a human nature and a divine nature, and we see in in Philippians two as Jesus comes humbles himself and he takes upon flesh. He he enters into this world as the son of God. And so, you know, every religion and so much of the praying in other religion is man's attempt to try and access this divine being to find favor uh, in that way. And yet Christianity is so different that the God of the universe steps into our world. John tells us in, 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 the, in his gospel, he says, the word of God, Christ, he became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And so, you know, what a statement because John yeah. saw the Christ. He, he, he not only saw Jesus as he came into this world, but then he saw him after his resurrection and he, he, 
John fully understood that Jesus was the Son of God. It's what it was. It's what Peter affirmed when when Jesus said, "Who do men say that I am?" And Peter says, "You're the Christ." Right? I mean, he's he's affirming the fact that Jesus is this Messiah. And the fact is, why Jesus was condemned to death and why he died on the cross is is even in the things that Jesus was teaching his disciples about prayer. I mean, this this whole aspect that he was the Son of God mm-hmm. and and how that was so rejected. But I think the question you're asking, Stephen, is the fact that I think what it means for us is that while Jesus had a divine nature, he also had this human nature. And um, and I think if you follow, and I encourage our listeners to do this, because until someone showed this to me a number of years ago, I did not personally pick up on this. But if you look at the Gospels and all the things that Jesus is doing, you'll find that it was the Spirit of God that gave him the power uh, yep. through which to do those things. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think, once again, Jesus is not just living as an example, but Jesus is living the life that you and I uh, should have lived. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. In Philippians 2, verse 7, it says, He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. So. In every way, he was identifying in our limitations and in our weaknesses. So, yes, his nature was still divine, but he he assumed like this very limited body. Yeah, I, I love the word. I love the word emptied there. Yeah. It's from the Greek word kanao, and it, it literally is like referring to this. No, it's not a emptying the way we think it. When we think emptying, we think just threw the whole bucket out, right? Mm. Being poured Jesus out. Jesus is not pouring his deity out from himself. He is merely choosing to limit certain aspects that he could He's act on. He's veiling it. He's veiling it. It's, it's a great it's word. Because you see it there on see the it all Mount of Transfiguration, yeah. right. you know, because there you see Jesus unveiling mm-hmm. in his his deity in, in a sense that the disciples beheld his glory yes. in a way that they had not seen it. You see it. it later when he's like, I could call on all these angels right now to t- come down and take care of this whole thing, but I won't. Well, right. why is that? Well, because there is a sense where I am choosing not to do this. I think something important that somebody told me uh, a while ago was, hey, too often we view the life of Christ as he was 50% God and 50% man in this body. Huh. But that's the wrong way to view it. Mm-hmm. Certainly, He not. was 100% God and 100% right. man together. He was the God man. And it's okay if there's a little mystery. Sure. Yeah. The fact, the fact that we're having like a little trouble, like trying to put it all into our words, that shows you it should and can be a little mysterious about how does a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man work together exactly. But what, that's, that's good because yes. it's Jesus. Right. That's the, what's special about it. Um, it. It was this aspect that, that yes, Jesus was the God man and, and he lived this life of dependence upon the father, but, but that's because Jesus didn't have this God card, you know, it wasn't this way yeah. that, uh, you know, any problem, it was just like, well, I'm God. So he didn't like uh, skip through all the monopoly spaces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a get out of jail free card. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good way of thinking about it. He didn't do that. No. no, he lived a life dependent upon the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the thing. I don't think it was just simply a priority for Jesus because he wanted to leave us an example. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say like he had to pray in order to stay in communion with the Father in this limited 100% God, 100% man body. Like it was a necessity. It wasn't just something that he did just so we could, you know, model that. Like, 
it right. did something for him. Certainly, I fully, be- it, I fully I agree believe, with you on that. I would that. agree with that as well because there was an aspect that Jesus is praying and you see him agonizing in yeah. different ways. I mean, I just will reference a few of these and then what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take a break and look at this in more depth when we get back together. But you think about Jesus going off into solitude mm-hmm. and he's spending all morning, all night in prayer I'm in moments of, of recharging from moments of, of, of ministry through working through moments of grief with mm-hmm. you know the death of Lazarus and as Jesus pulls the disciples away to a desolate place to rest a while and no doubt there was times of prayer and even Jesus before he made an important decision mm-hmm. with calling the apostles you know Jesus spent that night in prayer and then I think about the Garden of Gethsemane before oh, yeah. Christ goes to the cross you see these moments in in agony uh, where Jesus is dependent uh, uh, really calling on God in in these in these communing moments, but I think there is this aspect we see Jesus's humanity in those prayer moments. And it's uh, raw. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. certainly you is. See, you see Jesus, like, for all he was is 100% man, 100% guy, you see it on yeah. display. Jesus uh, really pulled away in moments of solitude uh, to get alone with God. And I think that's something that probably strikes us, mm-hmm. uh, especially, I think, in Jesus's day, where so much of praying was done in public, uh, in the temple. And yet it, it's so interesting that the Bible makes a point that Jesus would withdraw himself uh, to a desolate place uh, to pray. So what's going on in those moments? Yeah. So I think this kind of continues from our last episode when we were talking about the difference and like the revolutionary uh, way that Jesus prayed. It was just completely different, right? And we gave some different examples, but this is a specific one that's going to really give us, I believe, in a perfect view into what prayer was to Jesus and what it should be to us. Mm-hmm. Um I think sometimes when we hear the idea of solitude, we instantly think of going out on top of like this desolate mountain or out in the middle of a desert. And like, that's what it means to be in solitude. And I think that that is a definition of solitude, but I think it's an incomplete definition. Mm -hmm. If I can just like go out on a limb there and just say that, I think that's an incomplete definition. And the reason I say that is because I believe Luke 918 really is going to give us and teach us the idea of what I like to call the attitude of solitude. Ooh, Um, that rhymes. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Like what in the world? We weren't even trying to do that. So, uh, but the attitude of solitude, I believe is what Jesus like really majored on. And I believe there was times specifically in the life of Christ where he just, yes, he did go out alone on a mountain. Like you literally sure. have that story mm-hmm. or he did go or alone in the desert. The wilderness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he he did. But I think that it stems from the attitude of solitude. And in Luke nine, you, um, you're going to recognize some of the story there. Jesus feeds the 5,000 and uh, he ends this time. And in verse 18, it says, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old is risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered the Christ or the Christ, the son of God. And um, this is a really, really cool passage because I think you see here and it happened that Jesus was praying alone. We instantly are like, okay, he's by himself, he's by mm-hmm. himself, but all of a sudden the disciples are here. And you see this in other parts of Luke, actually, too, where it says that Jesus goes with the disciples and then he's praying alone. Mm -hmm. 
And I really think that as we look at these passages, we see an idea and this principle in Jesus' life pop up that when you pray, you're praying to God with others at certain times, and sometimes not, but you're praying to God sometimes with others instead of praying to God before others. I think too Mm. often in our modern day, we view prayer or the prayer meeting as, you know, I got to get amped up to go to the prayer meeting and I got to think about what I'm going to say. And I'm not trying to like ruffle any feathers, right? Because I know in just saying that that might be stepping on some toes. But but if we're honest, it's probably happened to all of us. It has. (laughs) It has if we're being honest. But that's not what prayer is. We don't have to think up what we're going to say and have this cool little written um, prayer to pray in front of everybody because we're not praying in front of others. Right. We're praying with others to God. And so I believe that the attitude of solitude starts with prayer is about God and it's about me talking to God. Yeah. Hmm. And whether that's with others, I can have the attitude of solitude or whether it's by myself, I should have the attitude of solitude in the fact that I'm not distracted You know, because I think too often we like to distract ourselves. Hmm. And I think that Jesus would say, no, you need to pray in an attitude of solitude, whether you're with others, whether you're by yourself, like it's you and God and you're communing with us. Yeah, that's the thing that I I'm glad you pointed that out, because I I think it has this aspect of a very directed focus Mm -hmm. and our focus is solely on God. And honestly, being Christians in the 21st century, we're at somewhat of a disadvantage because we don't know how to do solitude well. We as Life soon as, is not no, about being there quiet is no solitude. and pulled no, away. E- even yeah. when we're by ourselves, we're distracted with something. We're yeah. overstimulated at all times. So we're, We have music playing, uh-huh. we're reading something. Or there's some TV thing in the background. Yeah. I was, um, last, last uh, the other day, uh, I was hanging out with a friend of mine and they literally were out in Catawba with us. And a lot of you might maybe who, even those who of you who are watching this, you're like, I have no idea where Catawba is. That should tell you something. Okay. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's where we live. And uh, my friend says to me, he's like, it's so quiet out here. And I, I was like, yeah. And what I didn't take into account is he's from um, a city and mm. all he hears is traffic and airplanes and this and that. Right. But I didn't and think about it. It's unusual for us when I we didn't hear think cargo. It, by exactly. <laughs> I didn't think about it. <laughs> that, so that is so different. I was like, yeah. it is so true. Our modern lives, there is no solitude. Right. No. Everywhere we go, there is a noise or there's a light or there's something that's something drawing to draw our attention. focus away. Yeah. Sure. So it's really right. difficult. Because even Jesus talked about, a, you know, kind of your prayer closet and getting alone. But mm. the fact was, it's, it, it's this aspect like what you're hitting on that solitude of of putting away all other distractions just to focus upon God. And w- w- you're right, Stephen. I think in the day where so much of praying was done publicly in an effort to convey a certain type of righteousness or right standing before God, I think about uh, really the the parable that Jesus told uh, about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Mm-hmm. You know, and oh, even yeah. in that parable, Jesus told the parable. Uh, Luke tells us because some trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. How are they doing that? They were doing that in their prayer life. They were they were doing that in how they prayed. And you see, you know, this very public showy uh, prayer of the Pharisee. And then you just read about the tax collector and he's just saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's just this open, honest confession of, of who, who he was. And so, you know, when we think about Jesus pulling away in solitude, 
um, you know, he's pulling away from distractions, but um, I think about even in the Garden Gethsemane, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus invites the disciples to come and pray with him and watch. But then Jesus was going a little further off into solitude yes. before God. Right? But they were still there. Sure yeah. they were. I think yeah. that's something, too, that sometimes I've heard some people say, you know, well, you know, I, I'm just going to go and pray in my own house. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pray with others. I think that there's a danger in that because that's not what solitude only means. There Mm -hmm. is an idea where, yes, you should have a time where you can pray out loud before God and no one else. Um, My dad always tells me um, or tells people at a conference that he teaches that he always says, you need to go to a place where you can talk to God out loud and no one else is going to distract you. And it's Mm -hmm. this idea of like, if you can't talk out loud, is it really like, is it true solitude, you know? And I think that there is an aspect of that, but there's also an aspect Which, of... Can we pause that for a second? Because yeah. you just said something about talking out loud. Yeah. And that is so critical because, you know, is prayer something that is thought or is it something that is spoken? I, I'll i just speak from personal experience when I do have... Because I believe you can do both. I mean, the Lord sees the intent of our heart and he knows our thoughts, but... I'm a total train wreck when I try to just pray silently because my mind is not very keen sure. to solitude and having that distraction-free zone. Y- praying out loud. Yes. And scripture shows both. I mean, yeah. you can look mm-hmm. in the Old Testament places where you see Nehemiah and there, uh, you know, in the court and he's praying mm-hmm. even before he, you know, is about to say something. But but the other thing is, though, the disciples heard Jesus pray. Yes. Yeah, so they wouldn't have been able to hear Because they wanted thoughts. to know yes. how they were to pray. Yeah, I always encourage people and try to encourage myself to that habitually prayer should be out loud Mm -hmm. and when necessary it can be (laughs) silently you know Mm -hmm. like i don't think it should be flip-flopped i think we should habitually make a a point to pray out loud and to pray in a way where we are moving our lips and where we are truly talking with the lord and i think and i know that yes you mentioned it like the lord sees the intents and thoughts of our hearts yes we can pray that way but that shouldn't be like the main and norm in our life. The norm should be we're communicating with God. Because if you look in scripture, that's the norm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't make the exception to the rule, the norm, <laughs> you know. But I think, too, there's this idea of even when you're praying out loud before others, there's the attitude of solitude is there. Right. And you can pray with others and pray in solitude. And praying with others is actually important. And I think, I think as we start to transition here, we've been talking about the person of Christ and we wanted to kind of give that as like the foundation of, um, this episode, the, uh, people of prayer, but also the entire kind of mini series on prayer in the early church. We kind of want to transition now over to the The early church, right? The view of the disciples in the book of Acts and how did they pick up what Jesus had taught them about prayer. Because certainly you see that when you read the book of Acts. And I think one of the first things we we discover is that they're there uh, in the upper room. You know, Jesus Mm -hmm. told them to wait. Yeah. What were you going to say? No, like you saying that just makes me think there's solitude. Yeah. They drew away <laughs> right. to a specific place, the upper room. Sure. They're not them. out and about. They're mm-hmm. in the upper room and it's just them. So they're, but they're there collectively, doing that. but they're also there, I think, individually mm-hmm. uh, praying, you know, awaiting the promise of the indwelling spirit of God. And so um, even there in the upper room, what are some of those things that 
Um, you know, if we had to take kind of a, a 30,000 view in the book of Acts and look at the disciples and think about what were some of those main takeaways that their prayer was marked by, what are some of those things that we think about or we see in the early church that uh, really signified the type of prayer that they had learned from Jesus, that they had embraced, and now that they were practicing as the church. What what are some of those things that uh, stand out to you? I mean, I'll tell you one that jumps to my mind there, especially in the book of Acts, is that they were unified in prayer. Mm-hmm. And I, I see that prayer is inclusive. And I think that that's something that it would be different about Christianity and the way that we pray. That's different from some religions, you know, some religions, it prayer is not inclusive or worshiping God is for maybe just the males or a certain type of male or this, but prayer is inclusive in the early church. You see the disciples were there in Acts chapter one with the women and it like continue like points yeah. out different disciples and then certain people that were there. And it's an inclusive act that they're, um, that they are doing there. The brothers of Jesus are there. And I think it's important to notice that, that prayer should be a unifying factor because it was unifying in the early church. They were Mm -hmm. unifying around their communion with God. Yeah. And they weren't just like unified there physically, like all sitting together. I think they were unified in their intention and their heart for prayer. They weren't just out to receive something though. They told they would, they were told they would be receiving the Holy Spirit, but their, their goal in prayer was not to be uh, demanding of things. They were there in obedience to Christ, like waiting on his, you know, pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Um, And they were there for communion in the spirit with one another. Yeah. So it wasn't like, you know, they, they didn't have like all these crazy motives. They were all unified. Um, which is, that. which is very important because I mean that, that transcends throughout the whole book of acts. You see how the disciples were unified. You know, you referenced kind of that key verse in acts two, uh, verse 42, that they devoted themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, this is, this is them coming together collectively unified and, and they're passionate about what they're devoted to. They're devoted to the apostles teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, already the book of Acts is setting up this expectation that this early church is going to be a group of people, individuals that are marked by those things, by the word of God, by their fellowship, by their communion in breaking bread and the prayers. Mm-hmm. So so as we think about that, yes, they were unified in prayer, but they were also obedient to the fact that Christ uh, had given them prayer as an example. I mean, uh, Jesus told them in Acts 1, he ordered them not to depart, but mm-hmm. to wait for the promise of the Father. And and so where are they waiting? Well, they're waiting there uh, in the upper room. Yeah, he was like, return to Jerusalem and pray. And what did they do? They did it. Yep. <laughs> and it's like, okay, right. so these people were serious about prayer. And I think that that's something, that specific mark that of the disciples there in that chapter, I think is a serious question to ponder for us because they took... Christ at his word and obeyed it. Mm -hmm. And we are commanded to pray so often in the new Testament. And are we taking Christ at his simple command for us to pray? And are we praying in his prayer consistent in our lives? I think it's something that we have to ask ourselves because if, if we're not careful, we can listen to podcasts. We can watch TV shows, watch talk shows, listen to all these cool sources of information. And we're just like, yeah, that's good. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. You know, the the whole church, amen thing. Um, I agree. 
And then we don't really take it for what it actually means. And what it means is if the disciples were so obedient to Christ's command about prayer, specifically in that instance, should we not be obedient to Christ's commands all throughout the New Testament to us as Christians to pray? Mm-hmm. And um, that I believe that mark is important, but that's not the only mark of the disciples there in the early church. Is it, isn't there more? Well, and I just wanted to say one more thing on that. Um, this really showed like their devotion to Christ at Mm. the very foremost, you know, prayer is at the, the central of the formation of the early church. Mm. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, like you said, like their simple devotion to take Christ at his word. I mean, they could have gone out and started spreading the good news, but they were told like, you will receive power. And I feel like we, we've lost that understanding of how central prayer should be, um, Mm -hmm. in our lives. Cause that's, that's how we, if we go out all the time and just rush out of things and try to do it in our own strength, when really, you know, we just need to be solely devoted to Christ and return to that, um, aspect of prayer. Yeah. I love what you just said. Cause that, that kind of shows us actually another mark of them and how they prayed. It's that they were full of faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. why did why were they so devoted? Why did they take Christ at His word? Why did they obey? Because it's they, the belief that they saw those things to be yeah, true. I mean, it's yeah. right there. I think yeah. about in the life of those apostles, having been around Christ, and once again, we were talking about earlier that it, Jesus did these miraculous works through uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, and so we we see places right in Jesus feeding the five thousand, and even before Jesus broke uh, the bread, you know, you see Jesus looking up to heaven mm-hmm. and blessing over them, and yeah. then he begins to break the loaves and he feeds 5,000 people. I mean, 5,000 men and and then the women and the children. I mean, you think about the disciples as they were proclaiming the kingdom of God and they they come across uh, the the demon possessed. And and remember, Jesus tells them there in Matthew 21, uh, in Matthew 17, 21, Jesus says, this kind doesn't go out apart from prayer and fasting. Mm -hmm. So it was like the disciples were beginning to see Jesus's prayer life and they were also beginning, I think, to connect the dots to seeing the power of prayer worked out in 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 everyday life. And so, like yeah. once again, I mean, this is this is them getting unified behind seeing the power, the dynamic of of God at work uh, mm-hmm. through these situations and recognizing their dependence. You know, yeah. once again, right. just going back to that dependency, like why they did it. Yeah, and I think their faith even shows us actually another mark of how they prayed. And it's that they prayed really persistently. Oh yeah. And this one specifically actually takes me back to something we were talking about earlier um, in this episode on the people of God and the parable that Jesus talked about in Luke 11, when he mm-hmm. talked to his disciples, he literally talked to them about importunity, that shameless boldness that is so persistent. And what do they do? Well, he says, Hey, go back to Jerusalem. Well, in our minds, we're like, okay, go back to Jerusalem, go to the upper room, we start praying, something happens. And there's not a specific time of days given right in this passage. But if you look at the history of the dates of what happened and the holidays on the Jewish calendar, you can come away with a timeline of around 10 days praying right around, give or take, There's, there you could go a little bit on either side, but you're praying right around persistently for 10 days in the upper room. 
um, (laughs) (laughs) importunity much, um, persistency much. I mean, like like, what's going on? It wasn't just like a 10 minute prayer. No. And And how how often do we not pray for 10 minutes? Which seems so different, specifically even within, you know, many evangelical churches. You know, prayer is simply a a precursor to a meeting or it's the end of Uh a meeting. But. But sadly, prayer is often not the meeting. The the uh, reason the why emphasis, we come together. Yeah. And they're there for 10 days. And sure. I just think of that and I'm like, that's so convicting of how yeah. persistent they were, you know? And why did they do that? Well, yes, it's because they were full of faith and they were obeying the Lord. But they literally are living out what Jesus had commanded them to do in Luke 11. Mm-hmm. Be persistent, pray in this way. And all of a sudden it shows up in their prayer life. And we have all of these things at our fingertips in God's word to see. We can go back and look at the early church and we can see they were united. They were persistent. They were being all these things. But are we truly following through? And, and if someone to, were to look at our lives as Christians, would they define us as people of prayer? Mm-hmm. And I think that as we kind of start... Um, I, I think we need to talk about, before we do that, to think about in, in prayer, um, you know, let's think about this in present day, mm-hmm. because we seem to read the book of Acts and we see what a emphasis was given to prayer and the dynamic that we're going to see happening. But let's spend some time talking a little bit about just where what is the climate of prayer really in the modern church today? I mean, as we think about the modern church in comparison here to the early church in Acts, and I mean, the early church was devoted mm-hmm. to these things. Would that be representative of of often what we see Ooh, right off today? the bat? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I think because there's a question, lot of things that contribute to sure. that. Um, but really, I think we have lost the sense of the point of prayer. Honestly, I think that's where it starts. We're, we're misguided on what, what it is that we're supposed to achieve out of prayer or what's the end result because we are so results driven, you know? And so we don't often spend time just in prayer as a form of communion with God. Rather, we're seeking to get something out of it. Which brings me back to what we started talking about today. And that Mm -hmm. was considering, you know, how, how prayer in many other circles, apart from Christianity, is a way to achieve something. And yet, as we think about, you know, having this now relationship with Christ, being able to pray in that way, um, do we not sometimes, like you're saying, lose touch of what we are after in those moments of, you know, I think about, let's think about Jesus for a moment, right? As Jesus pulls away into these desolate places and, and he communes with his father. I mean, what, what do you see happening? Cause we're, we're allowed to come in to see some of those moments, like mm-hmm. in Jesus's uh, prayer in the garden of Gethsemane, you see it in his high priestly prayer there. And um, of course you see Jesus in his model prayer, giving it to his disciples. But I guess what I'm asking is what are some of those things that we see uh, him, him recognizing is the importance of what's happening in those moments of, of calling out to God. I think there's, there's an aspect of transformation that takes place. Um, Cause when you look at Jesus and when he prays to his father and when he prays in the presence of his disciples, 
you're not hearing a bunch of like worldly attitude or like a worldly heart posture like as he's praying meaning what i mean if you think about that like yeah yeah um i think um just like throwing up a laundry list of things or um it's not like he's rattling off to some calculator that if you put in the right thing you're going to get out the right thing um Jesus is showing to be like the very image of God when he's praying to God. And mm. and I've been reading Oswald Chambers, uh, the, my utmost for his highest. And yeah. day after day in that devotional, it talks about how prayer is the very thing that God uses to shape us to look more like his son. And so if you, if you go into prayer with this attitude of like, um, I don't know, just seeing some results like instantly or getting a material thing like you miss. Me focused. Yeah, not, it's me yeah. focused. Like Jesus is always reflecting it right back to God. Hmm. He's like, you know, he glorifies his name and he. So you're bringing out the, the you know, thy kingdom come, right. thy will be done mm-hmm. on yeah, earth as it is in heaven. I think, there's when, that aspect I think of when Jesus is praying, there's this idea of renewal that keeps popping up again and again. And yeah. we talked about it earlier that. He is a hundred percent God and a hundred percent human. And so you think of the times in Jesus life where his humanity is on display, right? And where he is physically worn down or spiritually worn down, or there's, there's, um, spiritual battles being fought and he's emotionally torn and tired. What does he do? Well, he prays and what happens? He's renewed Mm -hmm. and, um, renewal doesn't come through asking God to fix everything around me. Renewal. If you look in scripture comes when I focus on God and his promises. I believe that that's what Jesus was doing. And I believe he prays because yes, he he needed to pray so he could commune with his father. And so that there's a renewal would continue on. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that we miss out so many times on because first of all, we're not a people of prayer. And then second of all, if we are praying, many times our prayers are misguided and they're, we're kind of trying to just fire off these little prayers that hopefully something happens. And we aren't praying like the early church did. We aren't praying like Christ did. And we aren't following his example and his teaching. And then we're like, oh man, well, you know, prayer's empty or the prayer meeting's dead. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, you're not obeying and following what has been uh, prescribed in scripture. You're trying to earn this or do that right. or get your list of things. Which which kind of makes me ask the question that, that you know, it, the, the question of, well, does prayer change things? Does prayer change things or does prayer change me? I would uh, argue more prayer changes me. Okay. However, I think I you can, both. I think it's both. I think you yeah. can argue both. No, I think it is both because mm-hmm. you see both happening in the Bible. You see both happening, uh, in the life of Christ. And I mean, I think about it in the garden, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you know, there were moments where Jesus prayed and man, that changed things. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I mean, things happen. There are moments when the disciples prayed mm-hmm. and that changed well, definitely. things, mm-hmm. but then there are also moments that you see that man, prayer changes us. Um, even I think Jesus's honest question in, in, in the garden of Gethsemane prayer where, where he asked the father to let this cup Mm -hmm. pass from him. I mean, that was an honest, sincere request. And yet once again, he's coming back to the reminder of God's glory and God's purpose and God's plan mm-hmm. uh, for him. And once again, not my will, but thine will be done. You know, so I think prayer I see is, yes, it does change things, but it also realigns us yeah. and and refreshes yeah. us and 
Yeah, I think that yeah. I think their big the big focus of prayer as like a general consistent thing is it it changes me. Right. And then yes, as it's changing me, it does it does change things. And some people want to argue that and say, well, how in the world does that work with a sovereign God who has a sovereign plan and everything is known and part of that is there is a little mystery there about how prayer does move Mm -hmm. um, the hand of God sometimes, but God has given us specific examples in his word. So I would rather have a little mystery Mm -hmm. and go with God's word than try and explain everything and have my own insufficient answers. All right, guys. So as we just kind of wrap this up today, thinking about, you know, we've considered the life of Christ and just the significance that Jesus placed in his life on prayer and then the pattern that really that set uh, for the early church. What what are some of the things that, you know, drive it home today from our discussion that really uh, you think about? I, I think it, it leads me and I hope it leads our listeners to reassess the priorities of our spiritual life. I know for the majority of mine, prayer has been the weakest point and that should not be so, you know? Mm. So as we've looked at how, uh, what a high priority Jesus places on prayer and the way he approaches it, like take inventory of your own life and reassess, like, why does my prayer feel empty? You know, am I, am I really going at it, recognizing who I'm talking to and, and what's the point, you know? So I think just a reassessment of how, how you do it. That's good. Yeah, I think that that's great, Morgan. And kind of tacking on to that, not to steal your thunder, I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to kind of tag on to that because I think <laughs> that you like, you nailed it. And I think specifically, I think an area that too often we let go is the, like the, what we were talking about, the attitude of solitude. Oh yeah, for And sure. I think that that really is like my biggest takeaway from Jesus' prayer life and even the disciples' prayer life is how they prayed. They prayed with this solitude, this attitude of solitude, whether it was privately, publicly, wherever they were, it was them and God. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something we so often miss out on. And it's something that's so prominent in the way that Jesus prayed. No, I see that too. And I think mine is when I look at the life of Christ and and what you guys are saying, it's, it's this reminder that prayer was so the thing it was central <laughs> in the early church. I mean, it was one of the pillars that the early church was built around in the sense of what they did. Mm-hmm. And we become so pragmatistic today thinking that, you know, the next thing is the next best thing. And, and we need this in the church and that in the church. And if we don't have that, then we're not going to be successful. And it's like, where has the church gone wrong and forgetting that who we are and, and what really unites us is those very simple but truly profound things of a spirit-filled life, the Word of God, and the dynamic of prayer. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Hey, if you've heard us talk about anything on the show today that you would like to know more about, we would love to hear from you. So send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at whereweland.org. We're always looking for ideas for new episodes. And so if you have a topic that you would like Where We Land to consider, why don't you send us that in an email and let us know your thoughts. And uh, we would love to have you join us here next time as we continue our mini series of prayer in the book of Acts. On the next episode, we're talking about the power of prayer. So we look forward to seeing you here next time.